Hey, welcome to another episode of Progressive Outlook. Again, go ahead and like and subscribe. Keep following this. Today's date is February 7th, and the weather is horrendous. Let's go! So at the beginning of the week, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez posted on Instagram that she was going to tell her side of the events that happened of the Capitol insurrection and her point of view when she said that she had a life-threatening moment herself. And she actually did that. She went on Instagram and first she started with a very personal detail about herself that apparently not a lot of people know is that she's a sexual assault uh, survivor and that the language that the GOP is using such as move on and practically get over it keep it in the past and let's get past this is the same rhetoric that assaulters use that they say when they don't even want to be held accountable for what happened they use talk like that and not a single person, it was three weeks and not a single person actually came up and actually apologized or said anything like, yes, I was actually stoking the coals of those people and I was pressing them. I was just uh, feeling into what they were thinking and you know, I was thinking about the election. But what happened is something that I condone. And I just, I, I'm sorry for that to happen. Not a single person apologized and owned up to their actions too. Not just talking about stepping down, just, just standing up. And actually owning up to anything. And it's been three weeks actually. And yeah. It's not even a surprise about that. Because they are actually following those beats. That she said about abusers. And how they use that dialogue and rhetoric. About putting things in the past. So they'll be able to commit abuse in the future. And then she moved on to the actual events of that day. Actually that week. It was from Sunday to that Wednesday. It was about how the crowd was there and how it was growing and becoming more violent and just more vitriol of what they were saying. She would go to a grocery store, uh, I believe it was Monday and Tuesday, and there was a lot of people wearing MAGA hats, and she was just feeling this uneasy vibe. And it was the same vibe she was getting from that crowd, too, in person. And amidst all that, she was getting text messages warning her, that there was rhetoric and talk about something happening uh, on January 6th. So she was actually on her toes already about something happening. She saw the group that was outside of the Capitol already, and they actually were like, what, I believe they were feet away from her car. We'll listen to it uh, as well, but they were feet away from her car, I believe, on Monday, and she actually exchanged words with them to try to um, disarm the crowd and just cool them off. But she said by Tuesday they were obstructing things. They had a microphone, a boom mic and everything. And it was just so crazy about it all. It Also, on Wednesday, uh, that Wednesday what happened was when someone came pounding on her door asking where she was and they did identify who they were. Um, and that was actually a Capitol Police officer who um, to quote her uh, looked at her with a tremendous amount of anger and hostility. And it seemed like that he actually sent her and her top legislative aide 
into harm's way, it seems like, that he sent them closer to the Capitol where things were happening rather than the cannon building. But, uh, yeah, let's listen to this first. A week before, one week before, the week prior to the insurrection, I started to get text messages that I needed to be careful. And that in particular, I needed to be careful about the 6th. Um, for the timeline for you to know, uh, this Congress got sworn in that Sunday and the insurrection happened you know, Sunday, then the insurrection happened Wednesday. So there was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I probably started getting text messages about um, having me having plans um, for my safety or me trying to figure something out about Thursday. Um, and those text messages came from other members of Congress. Um, not They were not threats, but they were other members saying that they knew um, and that they were hearing even from Trump people and Republicans um, that they knew in their life that there was violence expected on Wednesday. Um, so that was what I was hearing that prior Thursday. So then that night, Thursday or Friday, so then that night I immediately contacted my staff and I said, um, we need to figure out a security plan and we need to figure out what we're going to do. Where is she? And I just thought to myself, they got inside. And so I hide behind my door like this, like I'm here and the bathroom door starts going like this, like the bathroom door is behind me or rather in front of me. And I'm like this and the door hinges right here. And I just hear, where is she? Where is she? And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. As I'm hiding in this bathroom, I'm hiding in this bathroom, um, hearing these yells of these men, or just this a man, just one man going, where is she? Where is she? I start to look through the door hinge to see if I can see anything. And there's like a door here and there's like another door here. So I'm like, I'm like trying to look through two door hinges. Um, and so I look through this door hinge and I see this um, white man in a black beanie um, bump, just like open the door of my personal office and come inside the personal office and yell again, where is she? Um, and I have never been quieter in my entire life. And then all of a sudden I hear my staffer G yell out, um, and He's, he's like, hey, 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 it's okay, come out, come out. So I'm like, I don't know, so deeply rattled. I'm still processing the edge of my life when I come out. 
Um, and I come out and this man is a Capitol police officer. But the story doesn't end. Um, it's a Capitol police officer. There was no partner, was not yelling, you know, Capitol police, et cetera, et cetera. But then what, but then it didn't feel right. Um, because he was looking at me with a tremendous amount of anger and hostility. And um, things weren't adding up. Like there was no partner there. And there was, no one was yelling. He wasn't yelling like, this is Capitol Police, this is Capitol Police. And he was looking at me in all of this anger and, and hostility. And at first, you know, in, in my brain and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I just came from this super intense experience just now. Maybe I'm reading into this, right? Like maybe I'm projecting, um, maybe I'm projecting like something onto him that, that like maybe I'm just seeing anger, but maybe he's not trying to be angry. Um, but I talked to G, my legislative director after the fact, and he said, no, I didn't know if he was there to help us or hurt us either. And, um, and G was actually like, th this man came with so much hostility that, um, that G was sizing him up and didn't know if he was gonna have to fight him. Like that is how, that is how like aggressive the situation was in that moment. And we couldn't even tell, we couldn't read if like this was a good situation or a bad situation. Um, it was so like, you know, like so many other communities in this country, like just that presence doesn't necessarily give you a clear signal if you're safe or not. And so the situation did not feel okay. And then he just looks at me and yells at me and he just goes, go down and then go to this other building. Um, I'm not gonna like name the specific building, but he basically says, go down and go to this building. But he just says the name of the building, doesn't say anything else. But we're so rattled in that moment. And he, the situation felt so volatile with this officer that I run over, I grab my bag and we just start running over to that building. Now, mind you, um, we weren't escorted. He didn't like come with us or follow us um, or anything like that. So G and I just start running to this other building. We run down and we run to this other building. And it wasn't until we get to that building that we realized he didn't give us a specific location. Um, he didn't give us a room. He didn't give us a place to go to. He just gave us, he said, go down. He told us to go to a certain level of a certain building. And that level of that building was street level. And so we can hear, um, because the buildings were not secure yet. Um, and this is around the time when the Capitol was being stormed. Um, that we can like hear all of these rioters behind the glass of the doors. 
Florida, you know? And we have no specific location to go to. We're in the hallway, we're in like, like the Dunkin' Donuts of the basement and we don't have any secure place to go. And so we're in just an open hallway and we hear the yells of these people trying to break into the building that we're in. And, um, and I'm just like, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. And so I think, and there are two members of Congress that I know in that building. And I was like, let's go there. And so it literally felt like just, I don't know, it, it almost felt like a zombie movie or something. And so I thought one of the members in my, you know, in my head, I'm just like, I, I think they're on the fifth floor. So I run to the fifth floor and we start going around. And this is when we start losing precious time. Um, we start hearing the yells. We go up to the fifth floor. We start hearing the yells of these people. And then we hear like other Capitol Police trying to protect the building, barking back at these people. And it just feels like it's just a matter of seconds when, um, when these doors are going to break through and they're going to get in. Um, and so it's the fifth floor and we run around and I'm not finding this member's office. Um, and we circle, we go all the way around. <laughs> um, and I'm like, shoot, she's not here. She's not here. And so I literally go on Google and I'm like Googling on public information, <laughs> what floor, um, they're on. And so I start we start realizing, oh, they're on the fifth floor. They're on the first floor. Um, the fifth floor is where the progressive caucus meets. So that's why I have that muscle memory, um, at least where we met pre-COVID. And anyway, so I just start, we start running down this spiral staircase to the first floor. Um, and we get to the first floor and we hear the yells getting louder and louder, like, rah, 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 you know, just like, like I, I hear like, like, the hinges cracking, you know, it just feels like you can hear all of this yelling and screaming. Um, and as we're going down the spiral staircase closer to the street level, like the yells only get louder and louder and louder that you hear. Um, and so, um, so we run to this member's office and I start knocking on the door, I start banging on it. And like, at this point, no one is in any of the hallways and we're completely alone completely alone. And so I start banging on this door and I said, it's okay. It's me. It's me. Let me in. Um, and they may not have heard me or something like that. I call them. Um, and you know, all of this is, I don't know, maybe happening in 30 seconds, 60 seconds. It's really hard to kind of attest to the passage of time, but it happened so fast and I just like couldn't get through immediately. So I realized that I had actually passed by Katie Porter's office. Um, and all of this stuff was happening so quickly that I saw Katie Porter like going into her office, just like holding a cup of coffee <laughs> because all of these developments were happening so rapidly that I think some people were at different awareness levels and at different like urgency levels than others. So yeah, there you go. I edited some of the uh, video. I, start, I started off with uh, her recounting about the text messages she got then just went to that Wednesday of the uh, insurrection and what was happening with her entirely. She went to Katie Porter's office and Katie protected her. Um, they were basically changing clothes and changing their shoes in case they have to uh, go out 
you know, hide out somewhere, sneak through past the crowd and all. But uh, they were safely and secured, though. So, again, this was about uh, what happened outside her office. Yes, uh, the representatives are in a separate building from the Capitol that is actually the Cannon Building. I believe it's the Cannon Building right next to it. It's connected to the Capitol, though. And the person who was at our door was a Capitol Police officer, too. And he just stormed in, just vitriol again, spouting, like, where is she? They've never identified who he was and everything like that. And just, he didn't escort them to the location he told them to go to. They had to go there by themselves. And, again, keep in mind that we also know that the Capitol Police did have people on the inside who were in the sympathetic to the terrorists who were aligned with their cause so it could have been something like that because she actually was closer to where the, where the insurrection was happening after they left and also with a lot of people saying like this is something that just popped up out of nowhere there were pipe bombs two pop pipe bombs found out there and actually there's videos of the person placing the pipe bombs that Tuesday night beforehand. As a matter of fact, they were placed at the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee just around the Capitol as well. Uh, I said earlier that they were placed in convenient locations to distract any of the police or agents who have found it, which was another reason that could have been placed over there. But truly, we really don't know what the purpose was besides what pipe bombs do, which is to cause destruction and chaos and to harm and injure people. Her story was the first of many uh, later on this week where the House actually had a vote. I believe it was a vote to uh, remove uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee responsibilities. And other people actually spoke up about their uh, events of what happened for them, um, just receiving death threats in general and the danger that they face. Because we'll talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene in a little bit, but just basically about the danger that they face being a public figure and in office. You know what? She actually has a point. Like, seriously, like, rapists do this. You know, they, they'll attack a person and they'll sit there and act like that that victim is a reason for that to happen. Or just how it is, like, they'll just move on and be like, and tell that to the victim. Like, ah, move on. That's in the past. Ah, just forget about it. Let, let's, let's, get, let's move on this forward. Especially if it's a close person who wants future contact with that victim. They'll, they'll just do that. They won't apologize. But they'll be like, ah, it'll just, just be in the past, all right? It, it probably won't happen again. And then, boom, something will happen again. Um, not just rapists, but other abusers. Uh, they'll, they'll be doing violent-ass things and try to sweep it under the rug and then keep doing that because they'll still have the power to keep doing it until they are actually held accountable and stopped. Uh, let's actually listen to the other representatives and what they had to say, too. And I have to tell you, the trauma from just being here existing as a Muslim is so hard, but imagine my team, which I lovingly just adore. They are diverse. I have LGBTQ staff. I have 
a beautiful Muslima that wears her hijab proudly in the halls. I have black women that are so proud to be here to serve their country. And I worry every day for their lives because of this rhetoric. I never thought that they would feel unsafe here. And so I ask my colleagues to please try not to dehumanize what's happening. This is real. And you know, many of our residents from the shootings in Charlottesville to the massacre at the synagogue, all of it, all of it is led by hate rhetoric like this. And so I urge my colleagues to please, please take what happened on January 6th seriously. I heard about motherhood today. Two of those women, between them have six children. They're mothers. One of them does not have children. And she's come to this body asking for more housing for people, for more health care for people, for more income for people. How awful. And they're not the squad. They're Elon. They're Alexandria. And they're Rashida. They are people. They are our colleagues. And yes, you may have disagreements. But I don't know anybody including Steve King, who you precluded from going on committees for much less. And this is an AR-15 in the hands of Ms. Green. This was on Facebook just a few months ago. That is a message of peace and reconciliation and peaceful democratic dialogue. The squad's worst enemy, AR-15, in hand. Mm -hmm. Sounds like the guns I fled. Mm. I have never, ever seen that before. Is this a precedent-setting event? It is. Because the conduct, the tweeting, the QAnon Association, I heard the disavow of QAnon, I learned more. AR-15, squad's worst nightmare. Is that what was intended to do? That each one of these ladies would have a nightmare about somebody with a gun? An AR-15 can carry up to a clip of 60 bullets. I urge my colleagues to look at that image and tell me what message you think it sends. The first audio you heard was Rashida Talib, Representative Talib, and she was talking about how dangerous things are for her staff just because they're diverse uh, women of color and different religions and um, LGBTQ people. And that she's been getting threatening messages ever since the first day she started. Uh, she took office in D.C. 
and things have to stop there. And the fact that there's someone who is still spouting that rhetoric and urging these crazies on, who is one of those crazies, is now in the White House with them, is very dangerous. The second one you heard the man speaking is uh, Representative Staney Hoyer, and he actually posted a tweet. No, it was a Facebook post of hers. He had printed out, which is actually a poster of the squad, Rashida, Ilhan, and Alexandria, the three of them. And at the opposite part of the image is Marjorie Taylor Green holding an AR-15 uh, rifle. And it says squad's worst nightmare. And it's supposed to be her with her gun. And Staney just expressed there. Uh, he said, like, their nightmare is an assault rifle. So this woman wants to bring an assault rifle to them. And this is also the same person who liked a post about the assassination of Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and Nancy Pelosi. And Nancy Pelosi is actually the Speaker of the House in there, too. That's her boss. Um, so all these people spoke up about it against her. And they had the vote to remove Taylor Greene from her committees in the House which actually successfully passes 230 to 199 votes. And that's where Nancy Pelosi actually spoke about the, I would say the changing of the tide of the GOP, where she said that the representatives have made it abundantly clear where their allegiances lie with Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, conspiracy theorists, and QAnon believers. The old guard of John McCain, Mitt Romney, uh, Dick Cheney's daughter, Liz, Liz Cheney, uh, they, they are the old guard of the Republican Party, and they're actually being phased out to these QAnon conspiracy theorists, um, Tea Party on steroids Trump supporters, that's now the GOP is trying to cater to. And if this keeps going, these nutcases are going to try to get more jobs and have more power than they can. Even though they're crazy AF. Still trying to keep this a family show. But no, it's a good thing that they uh, got removed from those committees. Um, they're still trying to act to remove her from her office. But that's going to require more votes than that. So it's either they keep it scrutinized until her next election or she'll just have to step down or they put more pressure well, we know she's never gonna step down they just have to put more pressure to actually try to put in the amendment i believe the 14th amendment just to get her uh removed but um that wasn't the only vote that the house threw down to uh thursday night um biden is uh 1.9 trillion dollar package to battle coronavirus was actually brought to the house throughout the whole week uh, he proposed it he met with 10 GOP senators because they had a counter proposal um, just he was just trying to reach across the aisle and work with the republicans on this and i'll be honest with you we haven't seen them work before with clinton and obama um just this time they don't have power but biden was just trying to basically um, placate to his critics because he signed over 40 executive orders undoing everything the pre previous um, occupier of the White House enacted. 
But basically, his proposal, um, well, Biden's proposal, his package is uh, $1,400 direct relief payments, uh, raise the job benefits to $400 a week for unemployment, hike federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, and $416 billion for vaccines and reopening schools. The counterproposal the GOP had was $1,000 direct relief payments, keep job benefits at $300 a week instead of $400, uh, $4 billion for health and substance abuse services, $140 billion for vaccines instead of the $416 billion, and $250 billion less than what Trump's, than what Democrats are offering with that. So there's no mention of the federal minimum wage increase or direct payment to states as their coffers have been reducing and depleting last year. So that's what was thrown down. And it was the first vote. It was a 50-50 tie of Republicans and Democrats. And Vice President Kamala Harris, she voted the tiebreaker because she is the so, well, she's the Speaker of the Senate because she's a head of the Senate as Vice President. So she put her vote in and actually voted for the $1.9 trillion package. The only thing is it seemed like for them to keep it for a 50 majority, a 51 majority instead of the 60, they had to remove the $15 minimum wage. Nancy Pelosi, she wants to put that back in for um, as part of reconciliation before the final vote goes through because this was just voting for the budget of the COVID package and the checks now they're going to have to vote again to finalize everything that's in there as everything's getting signed and ready to go along with that for your stimmies uh, so reconciliation will hopefully be thrown in there for the $15 an hour and at the same time there is actually rhetoric going on about uh, having a household cap I believe his families that are like make only fifty thousand dollars will only be eligible for his stimulus payments, and if they make seventy five thousand dollars, they can't. And that was actually going to be cutting off at the knees of that because putting a cap there just not that's not going to benefit everybody, which everybody needs to be benefited to for this whole thing to happen uh, to go down. But it looks like that since Bernie Sanders is the House Budget Committee chairman of the House Budget Committee, that's going to be going to his desk. Uh, it's going to end in his lap. And he said he is not going to allow there to be a cap on this at all. So that's what I'm understanding so far on this. So I hope I don't have anything incorrectly or too wrong with it. But that's what went down. It was a vote late Thursday night to Friday. It's a good thing they got this out of the way because starting next week on Tuesday, the Senate is going to convene and begin the trial of Donald Trump, um, the previous occupier of the White House, who thinks he's still president of the United States to this day. He have he had lawyers who actually left him. He had some legal woes this week. Uh, he lost five lawyers. They had to hire new ones for his impeachment team uh, this was the day before the deadline for the pre-trial briefs so his new team is led by david davis showen and bruce l castor jr now showen met with epstein um, advised him 
for his defense before Epstein killed himself. And Castor was a DA who was overseeing Bill Cosby's trial and declined to prosecute Bill Cosby. So what a team of fine gentlemen this chump has. Because they're all chumps themselves. Of course, you surround yourself with people like yourself. So scum hangs around scum. Now, his previous lawyers left after he pushed him to basically cite his baseless voter fraud claims. And they wanted to actually make the argument of this um, impeachment and conviction being unconstitutional. Just saying that you can't impeach an unseated president. Uh, most Republicans might want to st- stay away with the voter fraud theme, especially since they're talking about moving on and not trying to be a hostile base. But, you know, that, that's that's the craziness of Trump. He is crazy. He's not just crazy, he's evil, too. But understand that for him to try to consolidate any power and push his evil agendas is still push that same rhetoric that caused a terrorist insurrection. So Now, Democrats are building an elaborate, emotionally charged case against Trump, and that's citing the Washington Post, that the Democrats want to tell them their entire story. So the effort to present new video evidence and witness testimony appears designed to make Republican senators as uncomfortable as possible as they prepare to vote to acquit Trump as most have indicated that they will do. So to try to fight any quitting, they're going to try to make them emotionally upset and question everything that they'll be doing to actually vote to conviction. They need a 60 vote for conviction, 60-40 so, or more. So that would have to be 10 Republicans who have to vote against them. Now they do have a few senators that may lean for against them but you know let's let's not really believe everything they say you know i mean you know they go one way or the other uh wherever the wind takes them i mean the night of the insurrection kevin mccarthy was calling them out and then he just recently went and visit trump so you know he turned tails anyway um also trump was he's not been subpoenaed but he was requested to actually speak at the trial but he turned that down to no surprise i'm sure his lawyers don't want him talking at all he might just criminate himself but um that's actually gonna we'll see if he gets subpoenaed to do that it's a smart move and a bad move i think i think the democrats are scared of that like mansion and coons are well if you even call them democrats but anyway the probably wouldn't want him to do that because it'll be self-incriminating for sure if it goes up to trial and it's not like a nut case but that's the best part because i actually do that and confirm everyone for sure on record how bad it is and just how crazy or how ridiculous he sounds at the same time if you do that then actually just the far-off senators who are just already attached to every word he speaks will just become more um, resonate with him more just to acquit him. But honestly, I think he should speak. Um, The best thing you could do is have, you know what? The best way for me to describe this is the episode of the cartoon show King of the Hill from Mike Judge. Peggy Hill is a teacher. She is a substitute Spanish teacher who doesn't know Spanish. And there was an episode where she took her class 
to Mexico for a vacation and she picked up an actual uh, local girl who a Mexican girl who had nothing to do with that trip. She didn't know any English and she thought she was being kidnapped. So Peggy, Peggy was on trial for kidnapping and she was saying that, you know, she was innocent. She wasn't trying to do anything. And her lawyer realized Peggy doesn't know any Spanish. So when the girl was trying to talk to Peggy, Peggy had no clue what she was saying, but still rolled with it thinking that she knows Spanish. So he put Peggy on trial and Peggy spoke, represented herself, defended herself entirely in Spanish. And it was nothing but nonsense. And her lawyer explained that to the judge that she doesn't know Spanish and that's how she ended up in a bad situation. So the judge was like, oh, okay, then not guilty. Which Peggy actually thought he said she was guilty. Opposite situation with Trump where he will go up there and start speaking and saying this crazy rhetoric and everything. Everyone will just be raising eyebrows and all they have the lawyer say is like, see, there you go. This is exactly how we ended up with January 6th because of this guy here. And they would press and twist that he is a former president and not the current president because he still thinks that he is president or he deserves the seat in the White House and that President Joe Biden doesn't. He just can't give up, which is dangerous as hell, folk. And speaking of voting, um, Atlanta, the Republicans are trying to propose bills, the Senate are trying to propose bills to actually change the voting laws for Georgia because Georgia actually went blue, voted for a president blue, and voted for two senators blue. So now they're trying to crack down and basically cheat the system by changing the voter voter laws, like always. You know, change, uh, what is it, gerrymandering, um voter id laws and all that crap so what they're throwing in there is to affect absentee voting changes voter registration and access changes such as you only two forms of id to prove that you can vote uh private funds and citizenship uh will bar local election supervisors and boards from accepting private grants or donations to fund voting operations and Basically, they're trying to push for those changes and no absentee requirements or just, oh, no, it's a no excuse to absentee voting. Um, they're just throwing so much at the board on the wall to see what they could do and see where it sticks. Um, the fact that they have two senators who are Democratic. Um, I'm sure they can stand a firm stance against these restrictions because the majority of people uh, voted for them in Georgia, whether you like it or not. And that's what they well, that's who they want to represent, too. They don't want to disenfranchise those people that supported them. And as things have been going crazy with that, um, there's a double standard that went down this week as well. We're at the beginning of the week. A nine-year-old girl with, um, uh, I don't want to say uh, mental issues, but she was suicidal, a danger to herself, um, possibly to the people in her family who just needed help. They called 911, and they brought police, the people who escalated the situation, who did just uh, escalate the situation that they 
actually pepper sprayed this black nine-year-old girl and manhandled her uh, violently. Um, this is just a nine-year-old kid, and they were acting like that they couldn't handle it, like they couldn't take care of a nine-year-old kid without shooting her. They pepper sprayed her. Like, are you kidding me? A nine-year-old kid? And I want to bring that up because, yes, NYPD does have a terrible record. And yes, they are a terrible organization with a terrible union holding them down. I am very critical of them about that because look at their history. They have more marks of violence against people that would say good marks. There's actually a time where they actually stopped answering the crimes and where they stopped answering the phone. Guess what? Violence actually went down in New York. It is insane how that happened. But anyway, they did that. Um, and the cops are, of course, you know, they're suspended. Or what you call vacation times to them while they're investigating themselves. We've seen how all that garbage goes down. But at the same time, while that's happening and everything, they had a press conference, which just went basic NYPD rhetoric of like, hey, you guys are lucky we didn't shoot her. That's not a quote, but that's a good paraphrase of this, how tone deaf they are. Um, the double standard rhetoric is that this happens with a nine year old girl, um, black girl, while um, Trump supporter terrorists is actually given uh granted ability to leave the country and go to mexico for vacation that they booked before they went and committed treason and they've been actually granted to go out of town which is ridiculous um this uh, of course the judge who granted it is a trump appointed judge so of course he looks at these seditionists and think hey my brother because that's how systemic racism and a broken system works. And that's how an injustice system works. And that's exactly it. So basically, this is what you call white privilege to a degree. Where a black nine-year-old girl is manhandled and pepper sprayed by police. While a white terrorist gets to actually go on vacation before their own trial. And hey, who knows if she ends up missing. Because uh, the Kenosha shooter, that guy, he actually has gone missing yes a guy who went and committed actually terrorism and shot i believe two or three he killed two or three black lives protesters back in august um he was put on house arrest and now he's gone why is he missing because they did not register the new address he was put in his family claims that they were getting death threats and that they had to go to a new address. But, you know, they failed to tell the lawyers or anyone about that at all. They said that the Kenosha police told them just keep it to themselves. And if Kenosha police is saying otherwise, you know what? I don't believe any of them. I think the cops probably did tell them, like, hey, go ahead and leave town. We don't, we don't tell anyone about it. And, yeah, he's lost in the wind right now. And his bail is has been increased which is insane they still want to give this guy a bail when they get a hold of him they should actually bury him under the jail when they get a hold of him and just you know i think his trial should just be i told you so and just put him away that very same day but you know what those are some crazy stories but the best thing is that marjorie taylor green lost her house committees she was actually going to be in the committee of education she sounds like a wacko so yeah she's out of there in her other committees the 
1.9 trillion package has actually gone through and they proved to the Republicans that they've been stepping on their necks for four years. They'll just do what they have to do to get their own agendas through, which are actually helpful agendas. At the same time, things are now paved the way for a trial next Tuesday. Woo-hoo-hoo, this might be a long, that might be a long episode for Tuesday because I'll be covering that for sure. And also see what other things pop up because that's just what this politics of turning into now. But, you know, um, at least it's going back to boring and normal from the White House. Thank God. Uh, this is Dave signing off. Uh, again, if you're enjoying the podcast or anything here, if you want to hear more stuff, go ahead, like, follow, subscribe, do your thing, click on it, and you'll get those updates when it's posted up there in podcasts, wherever you're listening it to. So it could be Anchor, Spotify, knock yourself out. My name is Dave. Um, you can hit me up. Twitter, a guy called Dave. I'll probably make um, Instagram for a progressive outlook in the future, or it'll be on Twitter. We'll see. But uh, thanks for listening, and please be safe and be excellent to each other. Take care.